three, two, one. All right, we're live. Uh, here with uh, Eli Cranor. Craner? Craner, yeah. Craner. All right, yeah, I'm just going to say that just like it. Yeah, Craner. I was like, I wonder if there's a weird pronunciation. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, yeah, first time I've actually met you, you get the best shirt award. Yeah. Right out the gate. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we know, I think we've established we know a lot of the same people. And uh, actually, I uh, heard about you f through Josh Wilson. Mm -hmm. He's a, a good friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine. And uh, w w was originally going to be on the podcast. And maybe we can have both y'all back together. But he was, uh, he talked very highly of you. And I was like, well, it'd be cool yeah. to have both you guys on. But either way, uh, so you're you're a published author, um, yeah, a writer, and seems like we have some similar interests, but we're just meeting for the first time. So I'm just gonna let you tell us a little bit about what you do, and yeah, and go from there. Yeah. So the the writing stuff has been. I was an English literature major. I played football. Football and kind of writing have been my two things. And I, I was a quarterback in college, and I played at. Uh, I went to Florida Atlantic uh, down. South Florida, right in Boca. Uh, I was there a year and then came back here to Washita Baptist and ended up playing there for four years and then went and played a season in Sweden. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah, that was a that's where football kind of took me. I was actually, it's it's the love story that always gets told. I had a, a contract to go play in Cannes, France the next season after Sweden. Came home for two months and met my wife and broke the contract and I had hair. That was about down, about down to here, yeah, and uh, and cut the hair, got a real job, and became a football coach and a teacher. So I've I've coached slash taught for the last five years, and just got out of coaching. We had our daughter um, about a year ago, and so time and all that stuff was kind of the it was the end of the football. But with that, I I started. I needed something to keep me kind of chasing and you know writing was always there but I never really tried to do anything with it and so about a year ago I started submitting some of the stuff I'd written and I had some in the last year I think I had about 10 different things published online and then uh, in the last couple of months the Arkansas Review took a story which is like a print magazine out of out of Jonesboro and then the best thing I guess has come is I had a a story in the Greensboro Review, which is out of North Carolina. It'll come out in March, and it won their 2017 award for fiction. So that was a good uh, a good start on it. Nice, nice. Uh, what are what are some of the themes that you do, that you write around? Yeah, football is kind of the the thing that I stick closest to. So this story that that is going to come out in uh, Greensboro, it's called "Don't Know Tough," and a lot of it stems from coaching you know more so than playing and and kind of seeing these these boys that you get really close to and especially like in our culture today um uh, especially around you know the the trump stuff and all that it, it kind of brought this this new slice of uh of humanity maybe that the world didn't know you know like these uh this these people who came out of the woodworks and voted you know to 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 get that election and and this story is is maybe the title like it says don't know tough is 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 about those people and kind of what they what i saw in my time you know right there i level with them and and it's it's done good it won that and then i actually it spurred on a novel and the writing publishing world is a long slow process uh but i I guess about a month ago, I was able to secure a literary agent. So that's your next step. You got to get one of those, like a pro football player or whatever. And then they take your manuscript and start shopping it around to 
the publishing houses, you know, and you can always, if you wanted to go self-publish a book, you know, you could do that right now, but you wouldn't get the marketing. You wouldn't get it in Barnes and Noble or the other places and you'd have to sell it yourself. Yeah, so. d d distribution is something I was thinking about. I was in Barnes and Noble the other day. Uh, I was just on the road for some fights and there was a Barnes and Noble nearby and I ducked in there, and I was just thinking about that because there was like a local local author section, right. and then there's you know the everything else in the yeah. room. And I was like, man, it's in it's got to be getting harder and harder to get good distribution deals, and with with the technology and internet, not you know, yeah. um, digitize the books and so on. I mean, what what do, what do you think on that? Like, where are you at on the digital side, and is yeah. that a, like a side that you're going to go into yeah yeah no what my, what my dream my goal is is uh i want to i want to write for a living you know and and right now this little award that i won it was the first money i'd made from from writing but if you're going to do it like that there's a million different ways to do it but traditional publishing is is what i'm after and that's where you get an agent you get signed to Viking books or you get signed to Penguin books, any of those yeah, yeah, big yeah. books. And then your book would be in any Barnes and Noble anywhere across, you know, okay. um, the, you, the, the country. Um, but it is, it's becoming more of a top heavy industry, you know, so you see the big, there's, there's really big names and really big books that make all the money. Um, and it is harder to break in it's, in terms of digital and stuff. It's a huge world out there of online literary journals, you know, and yeah. Josh, you know, that you mentioned earlier, he's in that same kind of world. He's like I said, I had about 10 that got accepted last um, last year. And he's actually had a couple that he's stories that he's put out and got onto those. Yeah, so. he said his second uh, second piece just got accepted, yeah. and uh, I was like, "Yes, great, man! Then yes. you're just about to come back on." Which he had uh, like I think I think we might have miscommunicated about dates on you coming on last week versus this week. But no, I appreciate you taking the time yeah. to come out and talk. Yeah. Uh, so do you know uh, do you know Rob McCormick? Rob McCormick, man, that's some guy named sound. Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know him personally. Okay, okay. I didn't him. know. I maybe I was just kind of looking at some of our mutual friends and yeah. stuff, and or <clears throat> places. Uh, you know, I just like typed in your name and mm -hmm. sent your friend request on Facebook. But uh, he's going to be coming on here uh, in the next sometime in the next couple weeks. Cool. So yeah, uh, but just trying to. Uh, I'd, I'd heard about you, um, like I said, through Josh and. It was like, well, you don't typically, uh, <laughs> you know, he hear about folks that are chasing yeah. that kind of like, like you said, you're trying to do writing for a living. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm probably cut from a similar type of a cloth. Like, uh, <clears throat> I, I thought very strongly about getting into secondary education. Yeah. I actually teach a history class at, um, UACCM, yeah. uh, Moralton on the side. And I'm going to do that a little more next semester, but, uh, you know, it, I'm I'm definitely an entrepreneur mindset, and right. I get I do martial arts and podcasting for a mm -hmm. living. And like one of the biggest things I'm into right now is just YouTube. I yeah, two YouTube channels I'm working and uploading videos to yeah. all the time, and it's it is fascinating to me that like I, I'm really into the idea, much as yourself probably of content creation. Yeah, so uh, yeah, most definitely. Well, uh, is so I've kind of heard a little bit that like maybe the digital side of publishing hmm. and the in the print side of publishing, or is there like a war going on? Yeah, I don't know if there's so much a war, but you know, I guess it was probably about five years ago, maybe a little more, when the Kindles and the Amazon yeah. fires or whatever, all that stuff came out, and uh, everybody in the publishing world got really scared that that was going to be 
it. You know, that, that'd be the end of it. But that seems to, but yeah, that kind of, yeah, what I picked up on. It, uh, it kind of, if you look at sales, it about two or three years ago, it plateaued. And I think what you see, I mean, like independent bookstores, actual print books, there's an aesthetic to that. You know, there's a nostalgic kind of feel to that, that people are buying more. I know, and that's why it's fascinating. They're not going to, I saw Best Buy is not going to stock CDs anymore. Yeah, yeah, isn't that something? And for it's, like collectors. Yeah, the same the same idea, you know, that, but but well, I, I think books differ in that. You know, like we have Dog Ear Books downtown is like one of my favorite things that Russellville's done in, in the last uh, year or so, and I... I actually, speaking of YouTube, I've got a couple of videos that I'll do a reading of a short story or something to get taken, and they, they've done a great job of putting them up. But there's just something, you know, you can go click on Amazon and get a book probably cheaper and faster than you can get it at a place like Dog Ear. I've never, I've actually, you know, like what you're getting me thinking about this, I've never done that though. Like I just noticed, uh, I have this, like, I, like I just got a new phone today. Mm -hmm. I had, I was like, Hey Josh, man, I have none of my yeah. contacts. I don't even have a phone yeah. right now. Message Eli, if you don't mind, or send him a picture. Yeah. So, uh, my apologies if you tried to message me I've, until I plug things in. Um, but it, I was deleting the apps I didn't want and, right. the, and the book app was the one I deleted. Yeah. But I've never purchased a digital book. Yeah. But it's it's weird how people. I know vinyl is making a big comeback, and I actually have a record player. I got a, mu a music studio set up across mm -hmm. the way, and uh, but it, it's fascinating to me how like the digital music is taking over, and yeah. people accept that and they accept the cloud. Yeah. But the, I w you know I was thinking I I didn't know what the numbers were, but. Um, I've also heard a little bit that maybe like, let's say if you're a published author and you get that Amazon books deal, right. that maybe Penguin Books is, is yeah. like a, a conflict of interest yeah, yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got some some writer buddies, who a guy named Ace Atkins, who's uh, he writes out of Oxford, Mississippi, writes a lot of like crime and thriller and stuff. And he's been at it for years, got like 20 published novels. He's kind of a mentor. Um, but he's so funny, man. He talked about like with the onset of self-publishing, how, you know, like he'll be on a plane or a bill somewhere and somebody asks him. And he does. He writes full time, writes about a novel a year, makes good money doing it. But somebody will say, like, what do you do? And he'll say, oh, well, I, I'm a novelist. You know, I write books. And then everybody, you know, these days, oh, yeah, well, my, my uncle Jerry just published a book, you know. And, and it's not really true per se because, yeah, I mean, like you could put down however many words, 300 pages and, and go push print, you know, on a self-publishing deal. Um, and then they'd print you 50 books and be up for you to sell them. And some people like, um, I can't think of a good example, but some people have done that, gotten such a, a big kind of cult following that a big publishing house will come along and then take that book and, you know, go, but this route of trying to get that it seems to, super non-traditional. Yeah, like, that it doesn't, it happen, doesn't happen much. And there is a little stigma that, that, you know, if you've done that, you know, Viking or some of those, uh, bigger publishing houses they might not be as interested you know because you've already kind of put it out there same thing with like these online deals like if you posted a story to facebook or something like that like if you wrote a little 500 word story and put it they don't want it because it's already come up you know once before so so no back to ace he says so now when he goes like on a plane or something somebody asks him what he does he says i'm in the paper business yeah he just nice. it keeps it keeps it uh short Maybe. and sweet nobody's gonna ask any follow-up questions yeah. on that so, I mean, do you primarily stick to short stories? Do you do uh, an array, poetry, this and that? Yeah. Now, Ray Bradbury was one of my favorites growing up. And uh, when I really started getting serious, I, I just kind of researched a bunch of writers in terms of, like, their advice on writing, you know, and how to get into actual writing. 
uh, and coming from such a sports background, I, I was really looking for a discipline, you know, like a, I was looking for rules, you know, for something as, as creative as writing, I still wanted some sort of uh, discipline to it. And so Ray Bradbury said, you really aren't anything until you've written a million words. And uh, that was, you know, and it kind of goes back to you probably heard of like the 10,000 hour rule and these yeah, we, we, people say that in jujitsu all the time yeah yeah like it's just kind of like you know in in the Taoist you know I read the Tao Te Ching a lot and the idea that you know you just got to keep doing uh this thing over and over again until you become you know worthy of actually doing it so Bradbury's deal was write a million words and that came out to something like for me it was like 2,000 words a day for six days a week for a couple of years and and after I, I counted it all the way back to college so that was almost 10 years ago and I, I tallied it up and about last year I'd finally hit a million words and uh I started I started a lot with short stories just because if you liken it to like painting or something like that imagine painting you know like a a four by six you know painting or painting like a gigantic wall mural you know you can put a lot less time but still kind of learn the craft so I started with a bunch of short stories and you can send those off pretty quick and you don't have to have agents or anything like that. And, and then slowly, um, probably about last year, I, I delved into the first novel and it's a completely different kind of muscle, you know, to write generally a, a, a mass market paperback or something that you're going to read is anywhere from about 80 to a hundred thousand words. So average of about 90,000 words, uh, about 350 to 400 pages. And so it's just kind of a different, you know, oh, you yeah. got to kind of have the skill. Well, that's like a PhD dissertation. Yeah, I mean, my master's thesis was only 130 pages. With, yeah, like that's bibliography. I mean, that's all the sort of pages that right. are included in a book for the most part. Right. So, but that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so now I think uh, the current total stands. I think I've got like about seventy, and I keep them all. You know, like I, I actually. Uh, it, you're, it's easy to find, um, like file folders, you know, like the old school file folders because nobody keeps paper anymore. So I've got these big gigantic file folders. So I keep up with them and if they get published or something, I, I, I make a note and I've got 76 short stories and then I've wow. got six novels that are finished now. So, uh, but with all that, you know, this agent and I are working on, you know, just this one novel, this one novel that's come out. Do you have a proofreader that you work with? I do. I kind of have a group. Um, I was really lucky. I mentioned Jiu-Jitsu for Christ to you earlier by a guy named Jack Butler, and he is a Mississippi guy. He's actually from Alligator, Mississippi, um, but he worked all around Arkansas, and he was actually like the dean of Hendricks College for a few years, published a string of, of novels. Uh, one of them's called Living in Little Rock with Miss Little Rock, and it was actually nominated for a Pulitzer. So he got some really pretty good acclaim. And through a couple of professors in the English department in Washita, he got hooked up with me or I got hooked up with him. And then just kind of you make a small web of other people who are writing and stuff like that. And so when I finish one, I will send it, you know, to them and with them kind of reading it. And then of course the family, you know, the wife's a, she's, she's not a big uh, literary geek or anything, but she kind of tells me like, this is boring or, you know, this, this is good or bad. And that's good. Cause a lot of, if you're going to sell fiction, you got to kind of hit the wide middle. You know, if you're going to really sell it, you got to hit the, the thing that, that is a broad, it seems like a broad market. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. You got to get it to where, you know, people, the average Joe reader, wants to read it and and women that's also a big part about readership is 
women read more fiction than men. Like it's like 80 to 20%, you know, like a lot of men read nonfiction. A lot of men want to read, you know, some sort of history or, or biography where women will actually read novels more than men. So the wife's a good one to have. Yeah, no, that's, uh, my, uh, my wife's pr- proofreading my test the other night and, uh, helping me a little bit with, uh, with lecture and here, this and that. You know, uh, I took I took the class I'm teaching this semester on like a nine day notice. I was going to teach mm-hmm. U.S. history too, and then all of a sudden I was going to be teaching Western Civ too instead. And I was just like, "Well, okay, yeah, we'll do this." Yeah. But <clears throat> until we get to about the Enlightenment, I'm just you know skirting by. Luckily, we started like the first chapter, which I, I you know theoretically wasn't even supposed to really hit because it was like twelve hundred to thirteen forty or something. Yeah. But they, there's some things they had that they wanted them to know, like Black Death and Columbus mm-hmm. and why they why they were uh, exploring and colonizing. So I went into the Mongols and, um, you know, Spanish conquest and this and that. And uh, so that was okay. But then we've been on Renaissance and the Reformation. It's pretty far out of my uh, yeah. my scope of interest or expertise. I never had a class on either one of them. Actually, I may have had a class on the Renaissance, but... yeah. You know, yeah. no, I wouldn't want to teach a college course on it. And no. luckily, you know, it's like it's a one day lecture on the topic or, like <laughs> a, you know, a total lecture by the time we put it in. But it's like two days by the time you do a little bit of housekeeping and all yeah. this. So, yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I feel like so like, I mean, do you do you think about like your writing is like a, like subgenres, like categorical or like audience seems to be a major um with whatever you do, I know audiences, uh, one of my mentors is always talking to me about audience for my right, just writing in history. But, uh, where, where, how do you think about audience? I mean, for like, are you thinking about marketability? Mm-hmm. Are you writing to your audience? What are your, yeah, a good, a good writer adage that you'll hear, uh, coming up is write what you know, you know, so that, that's something that people say to begin with. And, and I think that's really true. And, and if you look back at a bunch of those, all those 70 something short stories that, I stuck really close to personal experience, you know, tweaking them and going, and you just kind of got to draw. And one kind of misconception of that is that that adage is that um, write what you know. So, like, if you've played a lot of football or coached football, then every story has to be about football. And it's not necessarily the case. You can draw from those emotions, you know. So write the emotions you know. So, like, if you have grieved – uh, more than the average man, then then your books need to deal with, with grieving. And you know, if you have had these different sort of fears, then they need to deal with those fears. So, originally, and I think everything you do has to has to tie back into that. Like, what do you know authentically? Like, what can you genuinely reproduce here on the page? Um, but I will be honest. Um, you know, like as I've started, especially writing these novels. And it's a crazy process, you know, just to even get an agent um, like this book that finally got an agent that the working title don't know tough right now. I sent it to 50 different literary agents, you know, and of those agents, you send them like uh, you send them about a 300 word synopsis. So like what you would read on the back of a book, like a, a book blurb or whatever. And of those that you send it out to 50 of those, I had, I did, I had nine who came back and said, okay, now you send me the the full book. Like, this is interesting enough. I want to read the full book. And then of those nine, I had one, you know, that said, okay, I think this is good enough. I'm, I'm going to take it and I'll represent you. And that was, Don't Know Tough was the fourth book I'd written. 
and the three previous ones to that, I'd done the whole same thing, you know, and never gotten a nibble, you know. So it's just kind of like that Bradbury and, and just keep, you know, keep pounding your head against the wall until you eventually break in. But but back to your question, yes, like even that deal about women readership. Um, yeah, that's what got me thinking about that. Yeah, I, I definitely, I'd never written a female protagonist until uh the book after this one and I did I, I created a a woman named Willow Knuckles and she's a a bag man for a big time college football program so what she does is she delivers money to like the recruits you know she's under the table she's she's trying to convince them to go and and to come to that school um but a girl goes missing at a party one of her um recruits is in on it and then they end up finding kind of like a pornography site where these boys are being filmed with these girls, these, and it kind of ties into, you know, what we're seeing, like Baylor had all that stuff happening and she gets thrown right into the middle of it. It's called blood orange fall. So dude, I'm super interested. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that one seems to me it, it's not, we're not working on it with the agent yet. Cause we have this one, but it's, it's the one that I would try and push, push next. You know, it seems like it would be a, a hot topic with all the, me too movements and all the other things, you know, rolling around. Cause it definitely delves into that with, uh, with some sexual misconduct. So, yeah, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So definitely. that was an example of, yeah, I don't, I don't have any uh, way, well, way to get with the zeitgeist. I mean, cause I know, yeah. I know how hard it, it probably has to be to produce something of that scope in during a movement, you yeah. know, d- during that spirit of the times, yeah. so to speak. So. Well, the news helps a lot. I, I used to hate, I used to, I went probably five years and didn't read a newspaper or watch the news or anything. I just couldn't that's, stomach it. That's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I keep up with, but I really, I love having conversations with yeah. other people and, and I, I watch more podcasts. Than yeah. Else, yeah. Honestly. That's what got me going with this. Well, and now the news, I'm, I'm a news freak, you know, now I make sure and watch like, especially the national news. Because I want to, the zeitgeist, you know, I want to see, you know, what is being pumped into, you know, every American around, you know, around the country. I want to know that. So to see if I can kind of tap into those different things. Uh, okay, yeah. Speaking, speaking of like the audio books and just like uh, audience and everything, um, <clears throat> have you thought about doing like a, like a reading of your books like on a YouTube or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, it seems like you have a, a, a voice you could do some, yeah. either that or voice acting. You ever yeah. thought about no, working well, with your voice? No, well, uh, I have a website, elocrainer.com. And like I, I mentioned earlier, uh, Dog Ear has filmed me doing some readings of some of the short stories who have, that have been taken. So they're on there, they're on YouTube and, and I do, I, people have, every time I do one of those, they, they like it. I think being a school teacher, you know, and having to read so much in that capacity, uh, has helped, you know, I'd love to, if it ever happened to do an, an audio book or, or something like that. You well, know, it would just be about. cool that you could, you know, like, uh, for example, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. All right. And, um, after I, you know, like I was waiting between like seasons five and six or something, and I was like, I just can't wait anymore. So I started listening to audiobook. Right. Uh, conveniently located on YouTube, and some guy's reading it to me. It sounds like Father Time or my grandpa <laughs> or something. I don't know. Very soothing dude. Uh, had a nice little accent. And um, I don't know. It's kept me engaged. And like that's, so I've listened to, like Josh has referred me a few audiobooks. One I talked about on the podcast earlier, The Japanese Art of Tidying Up. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, I, it's like it's got kind of like it's a really long title, and that's the second part of the title. Mm-hmm. But I bought that book for my wife about a year ago, dude. It's good, and I've never cracked it. And I think she took offense to the fact that I bought her this book on cleaning, you know. But she, it's still sitting in our shelf. Man, I was able to really get rid of a whole. I mean, I'm talking like a dumpster full of stuff because it just creates these mechanisms for you to let go of things. Yeah, like. It, does it bring you joy? It doesn't. It, it doesn't have to bring you joy right now. If it did once upon a time, it it can have served its purpose. That's yeah. like one of the biggest things I took away from it. And I, I said this earlier on the on the we on the MMA show. We got off of talking about that for some reason, but uh, oh, like something popped up in my Facebook timeline where I quoted it a couple of years ago when I was listening. But I listened to it on audiobook. Yeah, yeah. I'm always on the go, driving in my car, yeah. or, um, you know, just multitasking yeah editing video you name it like i've got a lot of stuff going on so yeah. uh if i can listen to stuff and mm-hmm. i've almost find it soothing so. yeah 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 no I, I i worked in moralton last year and so the drive back and forth uh was huge for podcasts the new yorker magazine does a fiction podcast that's really good they have one where like whatever story's featured they'll have that person read the story and then they have another one where um they will have somebody read a, another, like an older story that's been taken out. And, and um, another writing one's John Grisham's doing like a book tour. And I'm not the biggest John Grisham fan. I, I think I've read one of his books, but he does a really cool He did bit. The Firm, right? He did The Firm, yeah, and A Time to Kill. And Oh, uh, that is such a great Yeah, movie. that yeah. one is. And, and that was actually his first novel. And it sold like 4,000 copies, like didn't do anything. And he spent like four or five years writing it and all that stuff. And then he wrote The Firm in like two months. And he had an agent. He had the setup. And then The Firm just exploded, you know. So then The Client and The Rainmaker and all those other ones came out. And like I said, I've only read, I think I read, well, he had a football book. Or I know it was Playing for Pizza, which is about a person who, a guy who plays in a league in Italy. Uh, so it was kind of like me playing in Sweden. And he, he wrote he a book do about it, A that. Painted House. Yeah, he did that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We read that in Arkansas History, I believe. Yeah. Because, yeah, he's born in Jonesboro. I think he lived there until he's like seven. And he's got a, a – the podcast is cool because he goes to all these independent bookstores and he just kind of opens up. He talk about, you know, the, the industry and he talks about uh, his kind of – what he's done to, to get where he is. And he always has another author on there. It's really a cool – it's called Book Tour. Yeah, no, I have to check that out because mm-hmm. uh, I, I love uh, – like uh, the last couple of days there, there haven't been uh, – well, like uh, – I'll get caught up on Joe Rogan's podcast and he'll be traveling or something. And I won't like, I won't have a podcast yeah. I find that I yeah. want to listen to. And I'm always looking for something new to throw on, especially outside the box. Cause that's how I kind of found Dan Carlin in mm-hmm. hardcore history a few years ago. I was just looking for something to do looking, while I was looking, while I was doing something yeah. already. So yeah, well, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's fascinating, man. Uh, is are there any methods you heard uh, tips or tricks you have? Like, do you? Ha- I've heard people talk about they schedule like they wake up and from five to mm-hmm. six uh, in the morning, and that's not even full time writers. That's like historians and stuff that yeah. are writing books on the side. Um, do you, uh, is, is writing all you do right now? No, no, no. I work over at the. Uh I work, it's the old Gardner building in town. It's SLC. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm I, totally familiar. Yeah, I teach English over there. Um, but my schedule and when I was trying to get the whole, um, you know, like trying to get those words in a day is, as I do, I get up at five and I write from five to seven. Uh, so our baby is about, she's a little over a year. 
and she gets up about seven, you know, so I'm yeah. able to, to squeeze that time in. And then she goes down pretty early too. So I don't know. It's, I'm kind of one of those guys who, when I get into something, man, I, I kind of have blinders and I can't, I can't stop, you know? So I, Stephen King has a great book. It's called On Writing. And he talks about, you know, like in my truck right now, I've probably got like three paperbacks, you know, because the best way to learn about writing is to read. And so any time that you can pull away and, and be looking at, you know, the words and how it all works and how it all goes together, um, you just got to kind of make it that priority. You know, it's got to kind of rise to that top. So I get most of my words in during that time. Weekends are big, you know, especially if, if my wife and, and daughter are doing something else, I can kind of pull that time away. But it, it usually takes me about two hours to get 2,000 words. So, and I usually know where I'm going um, beforehand. So that's always a big funny thing. Like somebody says, well, how do you write? you know, 90,000 words, how do you write 400 pages? You know, do you just sit down and do it or do you outline it or does it start with an idea? And for me, it always starts with some sort of idea. You see something on the news or something. The book I'm working on now is about a retired NFL quarterback who thinks that uh, all his buddies keep committing suicide, you know, and so they keep they keep dying and he starts getting kind of um, – suspicious so he digs into it a little deeper and then the big catch is that the nfl is actually killing these guys off to try and keep them from coming out about cte dude so yeah so it's dude so you know you see something on the news and you think i mean that's such a big issue in our, in our yeah. sport in mma i mean uh if these people are getting that those those types of issues like matt brown was recently on jogan's podcast we we're talking about this earlier he's a fighter at the end of his career was yeah. gonna retire and uh, it's had a last, like, really rough past, like, five or six fights. And then he's like, oh, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to fight Carlos Condit, who's one of the, you know, who almost yeah. knocked out GSP yeah. four or five years ago with a head kick. And it's just like he talked about after a fight not remembering anything, like <laughs> seeing videos. Uh, when John Jones knocked out Daniel Cormier a while back, like yeah. the referee Big John was reporting on that and was like, Daniel didn't store any of that fight. Like, that's why he was acting that way. Like, he he doesn't remember yeah. anything that happened. Yeah. That didn't happen to him in, term, in terms of how his brain yeah. takes things in and remembers things that didn't happen. Yeah. So that's a uh, – and there's a lot of talk right now about brain injury. And it's even worse almost, I think, for MMA fighters because of the weight cutting. You get that fluid mm. drained off your brain. Yeah, I didn't even think uh, about No, no protective gear, so to speak. Uh, and some people argue that the gear in the NFL is actually for the detriment. I mean, we're yeah. headgear and stuff when we spar, but yeah, you know, it's um, it's a definite issue that I've I've thought a lot about. There's somebody on Joe Ben Askren was on Joe Rogan recently on his MMA show and was saying that um, he thought it was a conspiracy <laughs> CTE. I was like, dude. But uh, I remember it first got on my radar, Law & Order Special Victims Unit, one of my previous yes. favorite shows. I uh, had a big blurb about it. I did an episode about it where a former quarter, or a previous quarterback was kind of going off the rails and like soliciting these prostitutes and he's married and just things that were not characteristic. And he was like a Brett Favre, you know. Right. But uh, CT, so what, uh, yeah, so you're working on that book? It's already out? No, 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 that's the one. It, it's also, you know, everything so far removed. Like you finish a book, 
and when I, I finish one, you put it like in a you don't ever look at it for like a couple months. So that way then you can come back to it and kind of read it and revise it. So this is the newest this is the newest one. But yeah, it's the working title is Blood Makes the Grass Grow. And you remember that old uh like I remember it like high school games, they chant that blood makes the grass and then they say kill, 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 you know. So I don't know. That is a fascinating topic, man. Yeah. I've got uh, something here, that's what I was pulling up that it's a uh, I wrote a poem. Uh, about that and it's it's short if you don't mind no don't, by all means please yeah it's called tau yeah. and what you need to know about that word is that's what they're saying uh they're finding on the brain it's that kind of tar-like substance that they're saying like when they find then they go cutting up these old brains of these retired nflers or boxers or mma guys they're finding this substance called tau and that's what they're they're saying so you need to know that word and then there's another word called salsi which is like the, the curvatures of your brain, you know. So here's this poem. It's called Tao. There lives inside me, deep down somewhere in the place where Tao gathers like tar amidst the spindly salsi, a fear. I scored my first touchdown at nine, got my bell rung, as they said, but don't say any more. I went on to ring that same bell again and again, Paying my penance six points at a time. But that fear, it's growing, spreading. Will it come on like a backside blitz? Think LT snapping poor Joe's small white leg. Or is it a slow burn? Something akin to a migraine. A post-game darkening that no amount of Advil, ibuprofen, or even a fistful of hydros could ever wash away. Daddy always said, death don't scare me, son, but dying sure do. I pray for Blitzkrieg, for nothing at all. Give me time, Lord, to rage, to turn myself over to impulse in a final blazing ball of fury, bright enough to burn the evidence away. Only pure gray matter when the scalpel scrapes this skull. After all, there's always an end zone, a goal line, and six points are still six points. Surely you, God, of all people, are still up there keeping the score. Very nice, sir. Wow. Yeah. That's heavy, man. Yeah. I got goosebumps. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. And yeah. I don't, and everybody, I read that and people are like, Eli, are you really scared about your brain? And not so much so. I mean, I, I did. I played from when I was nine and then played five years in college and then an extra year over in Sweden. So it's more football than most people. And I don't, I never set out a game for a, for a concussion, but it was kind of right on the cusp of, you know, where they would actually, I mean, they did give us concussion tests and stuff, but. And I do remember getting smoked and, you know, wobbling off a field. But yeah. but I don't I don't think it's like a legitimate, you know, I'm not like sitting around worried that my brain's going to be dripping out of my ears. I you know? worry about people that stay in it after they get that second yeah. horrible concussion or that yeah. third concussion. It's just it's a it's a serious one. Yeah. You know? yeah like, yeah. Uh, for example, unfortunately, we had someone uh, recently in the gym, probably like six months ago, got knocked out with a head kick. And mm -hmm. it, this hasn't happened in a long time, but it happened, mm -hmm. you know, and we try and do everything we can to keep it from happening, but we're yeah. like 
were in the fighting arts, right. you know, in combat sports. So, uh, and, you know, it's you can treat it like any, like, n- you know, nine times out of ten, the person gets up and they're fine. Right. And then every now and then that person starts asking funny questions and doesn't, re- like, what? Well, why is that why is that class going? I'm supposed to be in that class right. right now. It's going on right there and I'm not in it. And that's what this girl was saying. And it was like, Hey, you know, you got knocked out a few minutes ago and um we called somebody to come get you. Yeah. And and they what what do you mean I got knocked out? Like what and just like that loop repeated two or three times. I, a great friend of mine got concussed once and hit his head on um got kind of taken down and hit his head on the back of the cage, still armbarred the guy in a somewhat unconscious state. And that concussion plagued him and came back for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's probably – I worry about younger people and certain gyms and stuff. We have an event we go to periodically in, in Orlando called the IKF. It's a kickboxing uh, tournament. Like, my wife has won it twice, and – um like her first year doing it, she fought three times in two days. Mm. We'll see what happens is in some gyms, these um, they will have male training partners, and uh, they'll get stroked by their male training partners who hit harder and mm-hmm. are more muscle muscle. Um, this is, everything is not is not conducive. You got to have like a really good male training partner, someone you trust, or someone that's going to let you beat on them. Right. But they get concussed, and they kind of keep going. Then they go compete and fight three times in two days mm-hmm. and get concussed in the first fight. And by the second fight or third fight, one year, two different girls died. Mm, my goodness. And I just it's those multi-times. Like, if you told me you had been carried off the field three times yeah. with a concussion, I would have been like, dude, yeah. I'm so glad you're out. <laughs> you know, just because that's what I worry the most about. I look at some of these fighters that have been through those just daunting wars. Right. Like, um for example, Rory McDonald. I don't know if you follow MMA, but he's a guy that, I mean, there's about five fights off the top of my head that are just the bloodiest, most damage-laden, oh, man. You mm. know, it's like that's just like you're going to die sooner. That's years mm. off your life. Mm-hmm. You traded those moments for years. Yeah. And uh, it, it's fascinating. I mean, it, it's fascinating to me how, how much uh, as human beings that we – invest and are interested in sports i shared an article earlier about the russian ban going on that's yeah. a fascinating topic to me and steroid use in the sport yeah uh which um you know uh, one of my guys is a uh nfl uh player really uh, former uh, yeah he tore his tricep he actually started uh for the colts and the first game he started tore his tricep really this dude is 610 and he's 285, but he's 350 when he's playing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Matt Hall is his name. He yeah, played, yeah, yeah. He he's a Russellville guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, he's a big Huge old boy. Dude. Great guy. But, yeah, he comes in and does jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and, uh, like, he, like he, he's done some striking classes, but he's, like, he's like taller than the bag. Right. You know? It's just, like, I'm like, well, the, you know, these people are going to be seven feet high. Right. You know, you're good. <laughs> It's it's wild though. Our wrestling coach like looks up to him. Our uh-huh. wrestling coach is six six. Oh my gosh! I've never seen him look up to him. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, I've talked to him several times about that, and uh, I, know, I don't know if it's been since we were on the podcast. We've been talking about it before, but like uh, the n- new album by the Drive By Truckers, a very politically charged album, mm-hmm. and um, Patterson Hood wrote a song about. Uh, and mentions what's going on with the NFL and mm. and things with uh, mm-hmm. with taking a knee. 
And uh, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, do you listen to Truckers very much? I was a huge Truckers fan until Isbell left. So I did. I kind of, I kind of followed. Yeah, I kind of followed Jason Isbell, you know, away from him. Yeah. Because I just ended up always liking his songs. Uh, but yeah, growing up, I mean, like the Dirty South and yeah, all, that's all of a those. great. Um, my buddy that just came on and reviewed it, uh, Michael Booty, he read. Um, he re did a reading on the podcast of the th uh, three. What is it? Three Southern Icons. Yeah. Which I'm doing, and I haven't done my first cast yet. I've done parts of it, but I wanted to get it out in January. But I'm doing a, a series of podcasts in this year over 1968. Mm. So there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff that happened in 1968. I've rattled it off on the other yeah. episodes, but um, the duality of the Southern thing. Yes, yeah. man. And like, I was like, how ironic that this is because one of my episodes is going to be about George Wallace. Yeah. You know, and it's a later episode. I'm doing one on Nixon, one on LBJ, one on Martin Luther King, one on Robert F. Kennedy, the Democratic National Convention, the Tet Offensive. Yeah. So um, that's kind of that era of history, particularly the Cold War, is my number one interest. I'm yeah. fascinated by, um, I mean, World War Two as well, but World War One and beyond is like just starting with that is like a lens to kind of view things going forward. It's a fascinating time. Yeah, it definitely is. Yes. You got to learn from that history. Or, uh, I mean, you do, and that's why I'm fascinated by some of your topics is because um, I'm I'm viewing them too. Yeah. And like I said, I don't really – my wife and I, we don't even have cable. Like, I stream yeah. everything, but I'm always surfing the Internet, talking to people, doing research, listening to podcasts, trying to stay in touch, like, with the spirit of the times, with what's right. going on, with uh, different interpretations. That's one thing I'm big on that I feel like a lot of people uh, – I'm like I I I, look, I really look at it from all angles, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I I'm I'm big. I'm not a I wouldn't never classify myself as a conspiracy theorist, but I'm like okay, we we've consumed all historical knowledge on this topic. Let's see what the crazies have to say. About <laughs> right. You know, are there any common threads here? Like, yeah. what are they saying? Is runs? You know, what evidence are they saying that runs counter to this? Are there facts that support it? You know, and. A lot of people are just uh, like biased to the point of personal attack against that. I want to do – I'm doing a History Unraveled spot on the podcast, and after I get done with the 68, I want – I'm either going to do the history of drugs or the history of conspiracy. Mm. So yeah. – um, <clears throat> and then I also want to do a, like a um, history of cults or something mm -hmm. of that nature. I'm fascinated by um, – I've been reading and researching a lot about Aleister Crowley. I don't know. Uh, so you you like the band Led Zeppelin? Yeah. Look into this. This is a guy, and this guy also influenced um, L. Ron Hubbard, who founded Scientology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was a member of his organization. I just I just read this the other day until 1940. So Aleister Crowley is this kind of a cult figure, studied in Egypt, just this crazy occult figure. And Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin was super fascinated by him, like to the point that he bought all of this memorabilia, cloaks that he wore, books, uh, and started his own bookstore called, um, it might have been called Excalibur, or, uh, or Eclipse, or um, Equinox. It was Equinox. Uh, so uh, I just recently was doing a review on that King Arthur movie. So I said yeah. Excalibur is pretty good, that Guy Ritchie one. <clears throat> but uh, he had this uh, bookstore, Equinox, and all of the symbols – Every single Led Zeppelin symbol, like the three circles, uh -huh. those are all these symbols called Crowleyisms. Hmm. 
So like the one on the drums, they, if you look at them, they're all over the stage or yeah. all over the albums and the artwork and like each symbol represents a member in the band and has like a certain meaning to it. And they're called Crowleyisms. Hmm. I'm fascinated by yeah. it. But this is like, I'm fascinated by it to the point of like, it's like a cool little special problems study that I want to do on the podcast to see a little solo, probably audio only podcast, right. but I'll still throw them up on YouTube. Um, but that's a that's always been a fascinating topic to me. Is like, uh, did you ever watch the first season of True Detective? I did, I did. I mean that that right there, you know, that's and that's based upon gets. a true story. Yeah, within uh, within eight hours of where we're sitting right here, that allegedly uh, yeah parts of that happened. I didn't know that. I didn't know that it yeah. was based. Vice on. did. Um, <clears throat> Vice has an incredible YouTube channel. Okay, if you go to Vice and you go to their playlist, uh, there's one called Fringes. Uh, and then there's another playlist called The Real or something like that. The Real True Detective, The Real Walter mm -hmm. White. And it tells this, you know, it tells the, the that person or, or within reason of what they can find. And uh, on the True Detective one, man, they went inside of this evidence trailer. And I was just like, <laughs> but that's a fascinating topic yeah. to me. And especially uh, with the True Detective one, because that's that's close to home. The Sarkoza. Sarkoza. Yeah, man. Like when they said the words "the Yellow King," mm -hmm. I just like shivers ran up and down my spine. I, HBO is great. I really, I, I'm, uh, I'm super happy. I'm plugged into the HBO. Like one of my buddies, uh, his name's Nick. He actually owns a sign hub here in town. Okay, really great friend of mine. And uh, I'm just like, dude, you got to get HBO so we can talk about this <laughs> yeah, stuff. Shows, man. It's yeah. like Westworld. It's season two is yeah. about to come out. Um, and that's like another buddy of mine. Like I just kind of network with all these people and I'm like, look, we talk about Game of Thrones and Westworld. So you got to come on the podcast. <laughs> Westworld season two theories are happening. So, um, you know, but it's, it's cool. Movie reviews, uh, book reviews, yeah. just stuff that I get excited about. Like, uh, I just, I like talking about it. And uh, since I've, I feel uh, as if, like, I've started doing this podcast and uh, teaching a college class, mm -hmm. like, right around the same time, I feel like it's leveled me out a whole, whole lot. Right. You know, so I teach, I teach all my martial arts classes on the side. Uh, or really, that's my full-time gig. Right. And I do all this other stuff on the side. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, I kind of have a long-term goal of trying to do something like this at, like, a Verizon arena. Yeah. Or, like, a Walmart amp. Okay. And exclusively interview artists. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. And I think that if I hope no one steals this idea from me by listening to podcasts, but if they're listening to podcasts, I'm getting those views. That's right. So we're good. They got to get, you know, 45 minutes in for this information. But uh, I think that the way digital views and podcasting and um, things like that are going, that there's, you know, uh, the amp, they, they have some incredible talent right. come through. And if they can work a one hour interview into their contract with that artist, right. put, put a little studio together, something much like this, right. it doesn't have to be extravagant at all. I mean, and, uh, I think that just with the YouTube game and I'm only plugged into iTunes stitcher and I submitted to Spotify, but I think that there's a big market there, and I think that people – I mean, Joe Rogan makes over $100,000 an episode, and sometimes right. he does three episodes a day. Right. I've done two today. <laughs> I'm not making that. <laughs> you know? But, uh, but yeah, I enjoy doing it. He wasn't making anything either when he started. I was doing it on a webcam. Right. right? Not even one like I have right here. Like a Right. The one that has old eyeball-looking yeah. things. So you're saying do like a live – 
a live podcast you in front do, of yeah. an audience. Yeah, yeah, that too. That's a cool I mean, idea. that's going live. I may do that with this one, because um, like right now, I just upload it. But what's cool is like I'm here. I do this in GarageBand. I can save this um, into iTunes immediately. Upload it to Podbean. It goes to the podcast app and Stitcher immediately, right. and it'll go to uh, to Spotify immediately yeah. if I get plugged into that. Um, but and then each one has their own little requirement for when you start getting, you know, monetization. Right. But it's uh, it's fascinating. I took a class in last July on um, basically basically YouTube monetization and mm-hmm. how like how to like make uh, make somewhat of a side hustle mm-hmm. with your YouTube or you know long term benefit of doing a podcast. Everything's so long. Right. I did a three hour one the other day with yeah. my buddy Jack. So um, some of them are short, some of them are long, and some some people like uh, it doesn't matter to me. Like when I see Joe Rogan do like he did fifty four minutes of Jamie Fox, and I was like, oh, this is great. I'm gonna I'll be able to watch this one on the way to Little Rock. Right. So yeah, but uh, yeah, you know I'm fascinated by the digital side of things. But I, I think what you were saying earlier about books, there's like me is like I'm a, I consider myself a collector right. of whatever I I like to collect. Right. And uh, so, and I have a lot of books, right? And there's something about having that physical copy. I think so. And I think people are, there's even been studies on you read differently, you digest the information differently. I've I've heard uh, that. I don't actually. Uh, what I remember is it's some sort of deeper connection, you know, because it's tangible. You can put your hands on it. Um, I don't know the science behind it, but man, I just like a I like a cover. You know, I like to see, uh, I like the feel, you know, different books have different feels, you know, the size of them, um, texture, the page, yeah, the smell of them, the font, all that stuff. And you can get some of that, not the smell, but you can get some of that on, on an ebook version, but no, I don't know. I'd, I'd hope, I hope books aren't going anywhere. Cause I, I mean, I, I do too, because like if I talk a lot in my history classes about like the library at Alexandria or. Uh, when Mao Zedong uh, took over in China, just all of the all of the culture, the fall of the Roman Empire, all of the books and culture that were lost. Right. I mean, it's daunting. Right. I was talking about the invention of the printing press the other day, and like that allowed for like um, Homer's epics and Plato, the works of Plato, mm-hmm. and, and things to be distributed in Europe for the right. first time. Uh, you know, and just like the difference between parchment and, and paper back then and, mm-hmm. and how how that became such a, a big way to spread information. And I think we're going through that right now in the digital world. Mm-hmm. But there's just it's like it's confusing. Yeah. It's like when um, like uh, Google, you know, they have a, a Google Plus is similar to Facebook, but it's different. And you right. start trying to do that and you're like, how does this work? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's. Uh, I still, there's a lot of stuff like I, I'm like that, and I'm like, I, it's something new that's a social media tool or something, and you try right. and well, it's like this, right. but it's you know, yeah. One one thing you kind of run a risk of too, going from like books to more online uh, media, or at least in terms of the written word, is like I was talking about that process, you know, like for this one book, fifty agents, then to nine agents who were interested, and then to one who took it. You know, between that agent and I, that's been about a month ago. We've already sent back probably, I guess, two different drafts. You know, I send him something. He he sends it back and says, look at this. Let's look at it. And we've done that twice. And then we'll probably do it, I don't know how many more times before he actually ever even takes it out to the publishing houses and tries to sell it. 
And then once you get a publish an agent and a publishing, I mean, you get an editor at a publishing house, you'll do the same thing. You know, they'll take it all through finding different sections that are maybe slow or characters that need to be lifted or, and then the final is a copy edit. You know, you go through this whole thing where they're looking for commas and they're looking for any sort of typos. You take all that process and if you're going to just post something on the internet, it's gone, you know? Yeah. So like you don't have any of that refinement. Uh, not always, you know, I some seeing articles that are littered with time. Yeah. Posts. Yeah. But it's so tempting, right? Like it's so easy. Like you can just hit upload and it can go up there and it can happen, you know, and the same, you know, self-publishing I think is an awesome thing for certain about blogging. For, yeah, I uh, I think it's great. You know? I, mean, I like reading it, but I yeah. mean, do you have a blog or anything? I don't have site? a blog, no. I have that website, and all I do is put up any sort of publishing I have, and if I have a video that I've done reading or something, I, I hit it up. I don't have any. My wife at, runs our Facebook account, so it's like it has both our names on it. But Yeah, I sent you a request. Okay, so. I'll make sure she hits it, yeah. But no, I just got to where I mentioned that 2,000 words a day, and that takes a solid two hours, sometimes more. And then with being a dad and having a job, it like it comes down to time constraints for me, like on a daily basis. And if I any time I spend social media or any of that other stuff, it's time where Very purposeful. I, I'm not sharpening that saw, you know, yeah, of, okay. of writing, yeah. you know. So I don't know. And I feel like if you write something that's good enough and strong enough, that's going to carry people that you probably don't have to have. You know, there's a bunch of really famous authors who don't have. Fiction, you know, they're nonfiction guys who have some sort of platform as like an MMA guy or something. If he was to come out with a book, then he would need to have, you know, probably a big what they call platform, you know, need to have a bunch of followers on this other stuff. But it's kind of different for fiction, I think, I hope, because I would I, agree. Yeah, it, it, it's a different I mean, that's one thing. Um, it's a different it's different to I can't market in ways around the area. Because if those people are already interested in it, they either train with me or the other competition yeah. in the area. So you know, you have to have a product that appeals to the larger martial arts yeah. or jiu-jitsu or ju audience, Olympic sport audience, whatever it is. And for me, in my view, that's things uh, – that's my YouTube channel. Right. That's uh, this podcast. And, like, I've had – I've shifted, like, over the last eight months to 12 months, my views just through trying to learn – like I said, the monetization and of the digital side of video and how these other people, because, I mean, I consume a lot of these resources right. and I'm inspired by them myself. And it's like, yeah, uh, I would, I've inspired to do the same thing. I, the, the guy I mentioned earlier, Matt Brown, that was uh, talking about um, forgetting fights and stuff mm -hmm. and since towards the end of his career, um, he was kind of, <clears throat> kind of hitting on the same stuff. It's just, um, you know, a way to express your art mm -hmm. versus like we've talked about practicing and like when I go in and I work on my arm bars, I'm, I'm working on skill. Right. But when I go and I submit someone with an arm bar that doesn't want it to happen, I'm expressing my art. Yeah. That's what he was saying. Yeah. You know? And I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that's, that hit home for me. And I feel the same way. It's like, there's, but there's a ton of ways that to like, cause that's why I got to keep sort of asking about different mediums if you're right. plugged into just cause I'm kind of thinking that way. Like, is yeah. that the way that you're, what ways do you choose to express your art? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible, uh, it's a horrible existence. I, I will tell you this. It's a dark room at five in the morning for two hours and nobody really gives a damn for a long time. 
nobody wants to sit down and read 400 pages. You know, nobody wants to have you read it to them or anything like that for a long time, you know, until you have sharpened that saw so sharp that that first paragraph and that first sentence gets them going, oh, well, I've, I got to read, I got to keep going. You yeah. know, even I've beat my family to death, you know, with it, but and they're great. You know, the, my wife reads everything as soon as I can get it to her. But nobody wants to hear it for the most part. And that's why, you know, for, for, for me, that whole process that I've talked about, those kind of like gateways from agents to publishing houses, they're almost like, um, they're almost like gateways. That's the best way to put it because until you can kind of hit those, you probably don't need to be putting your stuff out there. You know, it's probably not an art form yet. You know, that idea of just writing something and, and you know, putting it out on a, on a website or something to me is kind it's not of very academic. Yeah. It's yeah. not very academic and it's not very, there's not much virtue in it. You know, you haven't really put the, the pain and the sweat and all those dark, you know, the, the alarm goes off at four forty five, and you don't want to stumble into that dark room for those two hours. But you're doing it because, A, I feel like I got stuff that I want to share with the world. And then, B, yeah, you want to make it. You know, like you want to make it to where you – every bookstore in the world's got one. And, and, and you are making enough money to support your family, you know, by doing it. Here's a, here's a funny thing. I've, I've thought about this before. And I think, like, I got this from, like, a stick on uh, Friends. But you ever worry about, like, not being appreciated in your own time? <laughs> Like, like, oh, like the old like, dead, like a yeah, hundred like years die. from now. I don't think my stuff's that good. You know, that you have to be really damn smart to like, you gotta be, I'm pretty, I'm pretty mainstream. You know, I think my stuff and I, and that's maybe intentionally, you know, I don't, those are the kind of the geniuses, you know, that are way above, way past their, or they're too early for their time. Uh, I don't know, Jimmy Buffett, if you can't tell by the shirt, was a huge, I, I grew up, especially all the early stuff before Cheeseburger in Paradise and all that stuff, but he's got a song on one of those early albums called The Death of an Unpopular Poet, and it's the exact same idea, but he Lee, he dies and no money or nothing, he's not married, doesn't have family, but he's got a wiener dog named Spooner. And he leaves anything that happens, you know, like from his writing or whatever. If any money ever comes from it, he, he leaves it to this dog named Spooner. And he does. He makes it big and in, in the song, you know, the, the Spooner's in a doghouse 10-foot round <laughs> eating, eating whatever dogs eat that are rich. Nice. I've been uh, trying to uh, – you ever listen to Arlo Guthrie? Uh-uh. Oh, you have to check him out. Okay. And, uh, too, if you never listen to Todd Snyder and you like Jason Isbell – that's on the same. Check out Todd Snyder okay. because um, both of those guys. Because I've been telling people about Arlo Guthrie to tell them about Todd Snyder. Some people know who Arlo Guthrie is, um, but they're both storytellers. Mm -hmm. Like Todd Snyder is a. He has this one song called "Statisticians Blues," where uh, I mean, this we did a podcast about it. You're welcome to listen to it as well. Yeah. But um, if you get a chance, uh, he has this funny thing called uh, it's it's called if, if you type in if tomorrow never comes mm -hmm. like the Garth Brooks song, yeah. Because allegedly Garth Brooks ripped off one of Todd Snyder's songs, "Beer Run." Ah. Todd Snyder published that song, and it came out on his album first, and they had this big dispute and settlement out of court. And uh, he tells this funny story about it, and uh, I've been telling it, showing it to everybody, but. <clears throat> 
And then he's like, so, you know, and he like confronted him about it, this awards thing. It was this big, just funny story. And he's like, so that's why I was inspired to write this song, that Tomorrow Never Comes. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then he starts off singing it just like Garth, and then he just goes into a Todd Snyder, you know. But it's he's very folk. Um, I just saw him a few weeks ago, and I was blown away. Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard of the band Hardworking Americans? Mm-mm. There, There's two of the members of Widespread Panic are in that band, the drummer and the bassist, Dave Schools and Dwayne Trucks. And, um, he is in this, he's in the scene, he's a singer for what hardworking Americans, Todd Snyder is okay. he's got like 50. Oh yeah. He's been around for a long time. And I mean, he's like, I would even compare him almost to like a Dylan. Yeah. And he's, he's, the, he's the man. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, I play a little bit and I, I, all the writing probably started with writing songs way back. You play guitar? Yeah. Nice. So yeah, it was. That's probably where it started. Uh, that's I know that I know that's the first thing I wrote were songs. You ever listened to uh, Umphreys McGee? Yes, may I think they were at Wakarusa that time we went. That might have been the only were, time. Uh, yeah. We may be going to see them at Red Rocks. Okay, so fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's like right. It's a uh, July Fourth uh, week weekend, and that's actually Cora's. Uh, my wife's birthday is like July fifth. Nice. So we usually go to Vegas, but uh, because we usually go to Vegas, we're usually doing business stuff on our birthday. So um, I think we're going to take off from Vegas this year and go go have some fun elsewhere. We've been to Red Rocks one time before, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I bet. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you coming by. I, hopefully, uh, maybe here in a few weeks, if you're open to it, maybe you and Josh can come back yeah. on. We can talk about. It. He's he's. Uh, I'd say he's probably considered a fanboy. Uh, an Eli Craner fanboy, because he's like, well, there's this guy, and he inspires me, and I'm like, hey, you're here because you inspire me, but uh, he was, I mean, everybody has mentors, and I would say he probably views you in that way, um, Yeah. and uh, man, I really think the world of Josh, I was, I was kind of talking him up at the beginning, because like, he's just a renaissance man. He is. I've always, like, I remember looking up to him when I was in junior high, and yeah. just being like, man, that guy... He's got it figured out. He I does. told him that. And uh, and he's like, and then uh, we were talking about how he went through this spurt in high school where I saw where like he's like, he was figuring things out, mm-hmm. figuring out what he wanted to do after he graduated. And I was telling him what it was like for me watching him at that time because I worked at the coffee house where he always yeah. was trying to figure things out. And man, he would get on the piano and play like Twist and Shout like, <laughs> by the Beatles or like a Rolling Stone. And just put his heart and soul into it. And yeah. I was just like, I've just always been blown away by his musical talent, vocal acting, yeah, band, ath- athletics, basketball, baseball, football when he played all that, choir. I mean, he's just... Josh he's is the cool, man. man. He, he, his writing, I think, started at his cousin's wedding. We were both at his cousin's wedding, maybe about a year ago. And he was we were both just kind of at the reception and I didn't know. And we start talking. He kind of asked me like what I was doing. Uh, cause he knew me there for my time in Clarksville. And, uh, we got going about this writing. He was like, I think I should try that. And I was like, yeah, I think, you know, I think he'd always kind of been going, but he didn't know about the different venues and stuff that, that are available. You know, if you write something, you don't have to just save it on your computer. So, you know, honestly, that's my buddy, Jesse was like, he's like, he told me that he did a podcast for a while and I like checked it out and I was like, well, Jesse can do this. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. You know, but he was doing it at U of O for yeah. there for a little while. And I was like, I, want, I know someone that had a podcast. I want to start a pod. And I'm, yeah. you know, I had another friend of mine in Fort Smith, uh, has a podcast. He's on, he's done maybe eight or 10 episodes. 
Um, and he's doing mostly audio and just a little different. Yeah. Um, I just like, I went all in. I was yeah. just like, uh, I'm going to, I'm trying to get a fourth mic set up and then I'm trying to get a blue Yeti and a mobile digital recorder. I'm talking to the guy here in town at, uh, Valley piano about ordering me a couple of things and cause I want to be able to do some stuff at my office at Moralton. Yeah. So that's the goal. Yeah. But, but once again, man, um, was he, Thanks for coming by. And I appreciate uh, it. you want to give a, a quick plug uh, anywhere, like your website, anywhere people can, yeah, can find out just about Just Eli, E L I Craner, C R A N O R dot com. And um, other than that, there's all the, the stories that I have are, are up there. I'll plug Josh's stories too. He's got two. He's got one that's called Park Rangers, and it's out at New Pop Lit. So you can just Google New Pop Lit. And then he's got the forthcoming one is A Man Named Karen. And it's at uh, the Dead Mule School School of Southern Literature is where that one's coming out. So, nice, nice. So well, yeah. All right, man. Well, we'll look forward to it. Uh, thanks again for coming on, brother. And uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll have you back on soon. Sounds good. All right, see you, man.